0: Also be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com turnpodcastcom That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest.
1: You know, our wounding happens in relationship to others. So that's why we can't completely begin to really heal until we're in relationship with other. And so just finding someone who can really be brought into the most tender parts of your story mm-hmm. and, and because, you know, your wounding and the heart parts of your story, that's actually where the right person is going to love you most fiercely.
0: Hey, U Turners! It's Ash here, and we have another episode on the love category of the podcast. And I am bringing Jamie Rhea onto the show. He's a relationship coach, somewhat of a comedian if you start to listen to him talk, (laughs) and he's also the host of the Power Couple Podcast. And it was really beautiful when we just got on the phone. He said um, he just wrote a Instagram post about killing the fantasy so that your dream can live in your relationships and. I mean, if that doesn't hit you, I don't know what is, but that got me really excited for this conversation. We are going to talk about how you can stop with the wounding and start with real relationships, really opening yourself up to real love. Um, I'm so excited you're here, Jamie. Thank you so much for making the time.
1: Oh my God, Ashley. I'm so excited to be here. I've been a fan of the U-Turn podcast for a while Like just listening to it nonstop, and I'm super excited to be here with you, having this great conversation. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. You know,
0: I feel like it's so much more fun when I interview somebody that's listened to the show. It just gives me such an opportunity to. If it feels like you're part of the family, you know, like I open so much of myself up, and I can tell that you're that kind of person too.
1: Hundred percent, and like, like I was even thinking about when you sent me that voice note on the Instagram DM, and I was like oh my gosh, Ashley's got, like, the best, like, radio voice, like, like, I remember I was, I remember I was listening to your voice, note. I was like, holy shit, because, like, some people I feel like just have really good voices for, like, radio or podcasts, like, my voice is kind of like crack cocaine in the sense that, like, <laughs> I'll, I'll like I'll be on this major, like, sugar rush. Like, my voice will go up and down. But you just have su- such a great voice oh, for, radio, for radio and podcasting. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing.
0: <laughs> I love a little yeah.
1: crack cocaine. No problem there. Just joking. Oh, just some crack cocaine mixed with caffeine. <laughs> yeah, you know, just totally. Like, just get you, like, your whole system crashing pretty hard. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah,
0: I've, I've actually... I just sat, I just watched a documentary on crack cocaine, okay, not to go complete ADHD with you. And I've, I've never n- known much about the substance. So it was kind of a trip. So that reference yeah. that you're giving of uh, your energy is actually quite funny. And I wanted to ask you about your story that got yeah. you the way you are, like what brought you to love uh, coaching and love in your life and uh, all this content that we're about to share with everybody today.
1: You know, like, honestly, I think the, I feel like a lot with like coaches and therapists, kind of what brings us to the work is our own failure. Yeah, And historically struggling with so many of these things. And, you know, I was someone who struggled with dysfunctional relationships. You know, I'm 32 now, but like my whole entire 20s and, you know, all my past relationships, it was, it was a hurricane. It was just a complete fucking mess. And I think that is kind of something where a lot of the time as coaches, like what our work is and what kind of what we're here to learn becomes a lot of what we teach to other people because as coaches I feel like we're just kind of like the first ones through the door and then we kind of bring people more into our stories and you know for me like I started off as a blogger so I basically started blogging in 2011 with this website called the bro log I was like in this real kind of <laughs> so yeah, and it was basically just, you know, like it was kind of a little bit of pickup, like like how to pick up girls. Like I would write pieces about different types of alcohol. and it was very kind of broy, you know, I was like twenty five at the time. And that was kind of my introduction into writing about dating relationships. Like when I look back, at some of the content I started off with. Like, I remember the first ever blog I did was called the impenetrable pussy protector. <laughs> <That's> and, <amazing. laughs> and it was basically how women would be like, like at a club or like on the dance floor. And it'd be like, you know, ladies night girls. And they would all put their purses in the middle of the circle. And then they'd put their elbows out and, you know, they, they flail their elbows out just basically to, you know, block all the unwanted dicks. Like it's, it's ladies night. We don't want any guys coming. And, so that was kind of where I started, and I basically picked up a freelance writing career, um, you know, writing professionally about dating relationships for you know various publications, and just kind of went on doing that. Got into comedy writing, sketch comedy, and then eventually, just basically in 2018 is when I got into coaching. And honestly, kind of at the time, like I went through a spiritual awakening, you know, like like what I was pursuing at that point, kind of like a career as a screenwriter. A, a career as a comedian, as, as a comedy writer. And I basically hit this point where things weren't really working mm-hmm. just the path that I was kind of pursuing. You know, I basically hit, like I've hit multiple rock bottoms, but it was kind of this rock bottom situation where like something has to change. And it was yeah. around this, it was around this time where I was getting a lot of messages from people who had read my articles in various publications who were basically telling me like, you know, Jamie, like I read your, this piece about, you know, how to get over your ex or whatever. And it really has helped me in in my life, and I so I started getting all these messages, and this was around the time where I met my partner uh, Kelsey Grant, who's been a relationship coach for ten years, and
0: she's on the she's on the podcast, and she's yeah. an amazing woman.
1: Exactly. So, like like meeting Kelsey was this really you know kind of universal serendipitous moment, along with getting these messages where I basically you know, it's kind of cliche for lack of better way of putting it. Like I kind of felt called to do this work. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, like at that point, I'd already been writing about relationships, but doing the work in a deeper way and kind of, um, you know, getting into coaching and working with people in a greater capacity was kind of this pivotal moment with meeting my partner and then, you know, hitting this this rough patch in my life and then getting all these messages from people. Beautiful.
0: Okay. And you know, one of the things that you said before we turned the mm. on button that yeah. really just like I felt like oh my gosh, I immediately need to ask him about this was mm. this idea of people getting caught up in processing. This mm. is fucking huge because I have two friends right now that I love and I was just joking with one of them that their relationship just feels like one big processing versus just being (laughs) together. and i know that there's an element of healing and processing and communicating and connecting to to become the best person you're supposed to be but can you help everybody who's listening with some you know like indicators on what a healthy relationship looks like like when are you processing too much and you're not being in the partnership and what does it look like when two people are being in the partnership and processing things that they need to work through
1: Yeah, like like I um was interviewed on another podcast. It was um Alexis Silvaggio's podcast. We we kind of talked about this a little bit. And I I basically describe as like the perfect, you know, kind of balance is processing and playing with each other's nipples. (laughs) So it's it's basically like, you know, obviously in a really healthy relationship, you're going to meet all these parts of yourself. And as soon as you do get into personal growth work and kind of go on that healing path. You know, I feel like we can kind of drink the Kool Aid and get really, really obsessed, like where oh, I want to become this whole person, and and you know, I want to claim all of my power, and then we can. And it's beautiful that we're doing that, but like relationships at the same time are supposed to be fun. Yeah, it's supp- it's supposed to be a place where you know there's some lightness, there's joy, there's pleasure, and I feel you know like laughing is super important in a relationship, and and obviously like processing and you know, having these really deep, introspective conversations with your partner is so important because, you know, obviously having these these really healing conversations is, is where we do claim our power in relationship. Mm. And, you know, just having those conversations is where both of us, both people in the partnership will write a different story mm. because those really pivotal moments where, you know, maybe say you're communicating something that you've, you know, notoriously held a lot of shame about and you're bringing your partner into the castle of your shame. And it's a really tough thing. And, you know, so having those conversations is beautiful and we claim our power, but we still don't want to lose that element of when we were young. And, you know, we did see our partner across the room and and we smiled at them and they smiled back and, and we had butterflies and we just laughed and made jokes. And so I feel and I feel like a lot of people, you know, as, as we move more into the personal growth space and, and relational development, you know, kind of run the risk sometimes of losing that element that we had before we found the work mm-hmm. of just being liked and being able to appreciate each other. And so I think it's really important for couples to have time every week dedicated to having fun with each other.
0: Oh, that's huge. Okay. Well, it's like, you know, for example, I know anybody who's listening that you know, everybody's been in different sorts of relationships, yeah, uh, most of the time. And yeah, I I know that there's some relationships where you know, people come to each other, they talk, they connect, they heal. And then there's the other ones where there's always something that they're talking Mm -hmm. about. There's always some sort of disconnect and they've got to process it. And it it becomes this spiritual bypass where people say that they're growing when really they're just with somebody that's maybe not a good match for them. And they're just Mm nonstop processing and in denial Mm -hmm. and repelling the truth. And I'm curious, like, are there any indicators that somebody is in a relationship where the processing isn't healthy?
1: You know, like I feel sometimes in relationships, there are better healing partners. And I always kind of say that the right kind of relationship or really, you know, like uh, my partner Kelsey used the example of wound mate and heart mate, but basically a heart mate will amplify your gifts, whereas more of a wound mate will amplify your wounds. And I think in that really healthy relationship, you're going to make a different choice just in how you show up for yourself you know, so oftentimes there will be parts of yourself that you wouldn't want to look at in a relationship. And, you know, you'd be like, I don't want to look at that part, but claiming the parts in which you're notoriously like really difficult and claiming your shadow. And I found personally, like in my relationship with Kelsey, it's been this incredible healing container where I've showed up and faced parts of myself that I've always kind of been running from. Mm. And you know, just before I got in the relationship, I I had begun to kind of be aware of some of these things, but then moving into partnership, like you're actually able to heal them because obviously, you know, our wounding happens in relationship to others. So that's why we can't completely begin to really heal until we're in relationship with other. And so just finding someone who can really be brought into the most tender parts of your story mm-hmm. and... And because, you know, you're wounding and the heart of your story, that's actually where the right person is going to love you most fiercely.
0: This is beautiful. Okay, so when it comes to opening yourself up to real love, you'd asked a question uh, that mm. I wrote down, which was, what's the one thing you never got from your parents mm. that you wanted? Um what examples can you give to everybody listening cuz i know that maybe this is the first time they've ever been asked that questions and those of you who are yeah. writing notes it's what's the what's the one thing you always wanted from your parents but never got um can you unpack this a little bit and provide maybe some examples of what that could look like for some
1: people sure like it's basically a question that i ask a lot of my you know clients is you know it's funny i was thinking about it cuz you know, clients will come to me and, you know, thinking that we're going to be talking about dating or relationships. And then we end up, you know, going deeper into the family system and, you know, working on the relationship with their parents and, you know, generational emotional patterns. And they're like, "Whoa, I did not expect us to kind of go there. But for example, like, I'll, I'll bring you into my story. So basically, I grew up in a way where I kind of, you know, classify myself as an under functioner, which basically means that, you know, me as like a little kid, when I would be you know, crying or in kind of visible discomfort, I would have parents, you know, in particular, my mom who would overfunction for me. So basically, because my discomfort would bring up her own discomfort. So her seeing me suffer, it was bringing up an emotional activation in her and she wasn't able to be with my own discomfort. So my tolerance for discomfort was basically like my nervous system gets overwhelmed Really, really quickly, which means like fear for a long time was a huge sabotager in my life because you know my nervous system would be experiencing fear and it would just go into this massive state of anxiety. Mm. And so, the, and the thing how that related to relationships was I would go into relationships looking for a surrogate mother, which basically meant I was looking for someone who would take care of me. So. It was because of that enmeshment that I experienced with my mom. And so the process then becomes individuating from the family of origin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because oftentimes we get enmeshed in an emotional pattern. And even though, you know, say even though we're off and, and we have a successful job and we have this, you know, this individual life on our own, but the emotional patterning, like we still show up in our family system from the adaptive child.
0: Well, so tell me a little bit more about like, I think because there's probably a lot of people who have something similar to you, because I'm sure that there's a certain amount of core wounding experiences that are the thing that most people or a lot of people didn't get. And as it relates to your mom, can you paint a little picture for everybody as much as you're comfortable so that they can maybe self-identify with a similar wound?
1: Yeah. So basically, you know, like, as I was kind of mentioning, you know, I would be a kid and I would be, you know, as a kid, you need. To regulate your own emotions, but you also need a parent who's going to regulate with you. But there's this element of, you know, I think as kids that we need to go out and scrape our knees and make mistakes and then know that we're going to kind of have that safe haven. But when we have a parent who disconnects from themselves or abandons themselves and over functions for us, then we basically go into the, this world with this core wound of incompetency, mm. this this core wound of unworthiness. And that was basically my story for a long time where I, you know, like I always remember in in high school where my friends would be having conversations about really intellectual things. And I felt so much shame because I did not feel as smart as everyone, mm. you know, because I always had a parent who would basically overstep and do things for me. So I never learned how to do things for myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I'm going to speak to like the masculine energy here as well, like oftentimes, you know, if we're going to like, I'll use example, obviously, because this was my childhood, but I had a passive father. Mm. And so I watched my dad be passive to my mom. And so my mom would then over function with my dad. My dad would be passive. And because of that, I basically didn't really have a really healthy example of what it's, you know, like for a man to be in his healthy masculine, where he's being decisive, where he's being assertive. And I would watch, unfortunately, like my mom emasculate my dad. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the, you know, if we talk like a wounding pattern, you know, like I had one thing where I would go into relationships and I would, you know, look for this Hollywood love story. You know what I mean? You see someone across a crowded room, this Romeo and Juliet. And then I also had this thing where I would, I, I mentioned earlier, but find a surrogate mother. Mm-hmm. and and obviously that mucks up into intimacy dynamics in the relationship because the woman's over-functioning for the man and I'm you know pretty enmeshed in my feminine
0: gosh this is so profound this is actually why I called off <laughs> my wedding this was this my partner that I had years ago he really? had a very similar wound and he, he was just discovering mm. it and he had a lot of resistance to work with it and by the time he was receptive to working with this I was just complete like I had nothing mm. left to give but um, this was it. Like there's a lot of enmeshment. His parents were beautiful people. They did everything yeah. for him. And when I, I think that the feminine wants to relax, you know. And mm. and I think that. Um, and so it's, it's so powerful to hear a conscious guy like you who has worked with that can speak about it. Um, yeah. Because ultimately, the feedback is that it doesn't have to stick with you, you know. So it's it's a beautiful thing. And I can't help but ask you, you know, what are a couple other things that you think people who are listening right now really needed from their parents, but they never got. Like in my Uh case, um, you know, my dad had a lot of anxiety. I really needed peace. I really Uh needed to come home and feel like everything was peaceful. And as a result, I was shopping for partners who could give me peace. Uh Um, What are some other examples perhaps you've seen quite commonly in your practice?
1: Yeah, and, and there's definitely one thing. I, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I, I, I remember talking about this with someone recently. The number one thing that honestly comes up is people want unconditional love, is, you know, kids and children, you know, they want emotional engagement from their parents. And it's the type of thing where they want to be able to have an experience and for that experience to be validated. But if that experience, you know, like it could just be that you're feeling sad and it's the parent you know, being, it's okay, like this sadness you're experiencing is totally valid. And, you know, say someone is really, really sensitive, and someone feels something on, feels emotions on a really great level, but they grow up in a family where their parents are living through child adaptations, where they don't have a healthy relationship with their emotions. So now you have this this kid, this, this young child, who has this incredible superpower of sensitivity, but they have no space to allow that superpower to run rampant. Mm -hmm. So so basically, and and always as childs, we, you know, learn how to survive in our family system. So we basically figure out how am I going to get some sort of approval and validation in this family system, even if it means abandoning self. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, say we grew up in like a family where the only time that we're validated is through achievement and accomplishment. And that's a form of conditional love because we only get love on the conditions that we do all these things when, you know, unconditional love is that you are enough exactly as you are. You don't have to be anything else other than in the experience of being you to be worthy of love.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm. <laughs> and, um, I, I'm also just, you know, one of your points that you gave when we started talking was this idea that, People need to let go of the idea that a relationship Mm. is going to save them from their pain. Um, And you have this term that I loved. You said it was called relational bypassing. So
1: um,
0: walk me through a little bit about what this idea is that you think a lot of people are holding on to, whether it's conscious or not, that their relationship is going to save them or spare them.
1: I think, you know, yeah, like relational bypassing, because obviously we've heard the term spiritual bypassing, you know, where I'm going to meditate or I'm going to engage in a, in a spiritual practice that I'm going to levitate above my fucking pain. Yeah. When a really healthy relationship and true love is where you meet your pain head on. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that means grieving the loss of the love you feel you should have gotten from your parents. Mm. And this is what I think our parents, uh, you, you know, I can't take credit for this. This was. I think I was reading the book Loving What Is by Byron Katie. Great book. And she is so good. And she, um, it's something I use in my practice a lot, but talking about how your parents are the greatest spiritual teachers of your life. Because you're, you know, growing up in the family system you grew up, there's gonna be inherent gifts that you have. Like for me, I was hugged so much, I was told I was special. So I have the inherent gift of self-expression. I feel like just by me being who I am in the world, I give people you know, more safety, confidence, security to be their flamboyant self. And then the ways in which we're not loved by our parents are the parts of us that they left for us to learn how to love Mm ourselves. And sometimes it really takes, you know, a really like the end of a really karmic tie where not only are you grieving the loss of that relationship, but you're actually grieving all your childhood pain that you have not come to terms with because, You are in that relationship, in your adaptive child, relating unconsciously, hoping that this romantic partner could give you the love that your parents could never got. But you're you're not even um, communicating what it is that you need. So you're showing up unconsciously, basically trying to rewrite your childhood story with a romantic partner.
0: This makes me think a lot about um, this, just this concept of relational bypassing. Yeah, you talked about rise above versus mm-hmm. meeting. C- can you talk about that distinction of rising above something versus meeting it?
1: Yeah, so like, 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 I'll give you an example from you know my relationship that I'm in right now, and basically, because because my partner um, Kelsey, you know, it's kind of that or under or dynamic, which is basically replaying a little bit of my mesh relationship with my mom. And so it's beautiful right now because I'm meeting the the part of myself that feels incompetent, the part of myself myself that has historically not felt worthy. Mm -hmm. I am with a partner who's giving me space to build a really healthy relationship with my masculine energy. And, you know, it's basically having a partner that is going to support you in the journey of meeting your wholeness, wow. like you're, if you're with a partner who's going to support you on claiming parts of yourself that, that maybe have been fragmented. And, you know, cause obviously if, if it's more of like a wounded connection where we have the, you know, potential pattern of really going to that over function or under or dynamic, but both of us are helping to heal one, heal one another because I'm helping her with vulnerability and she's helping me claim, you know, myself and feeling more competent, feeling more capable where both of us are coming m- more into our whole power in the relationship. And so I think kind of the the, the first step with that is just having awareness over the or- over kind of your origin story. Yeah. So ba- you know and like like one thing actually that I'll work with in clients is basically figuring out when that rupturing happened. Figuring out When the adaptation, like basically figuring out when in in our family system did we have to adapt to survive in our family environment, you know, and oftentimes learning to survive is at the consequence of us being able to integrate the wholeness of who we actually are.
0: Yeah. And and I also just, I love the dynamic that you painted a picture of, of what healing looks like. It's Uh, some people think that there's a lot of pain and that's where they're growing. What, what I was hearing from you, yes, there's pain sometimes from growth, but it's interesting. Like I've seen a lot of friends who are finding themselves in their spirituality. That's the judgment that I'm buying into about it. And, um, and, and it looks like a lot of fighting, a lot of pain and them blaming themselves. And maybe there is a seed of insecurity or something they could work through. Whereas when you were painting a picture of your relationship with Kelsey, it sounds like um, both of you are aware of each other's wounds, aware of yeah. the things you're both working on and willing to create the space for that person to voice it go be with it, try it on, like be in an experiment with it. And I can really hear, um, you know, like heart partners or whatever that term was that you used. Yeah, <laughs> because it's so beautiful. And, um, another point you'd made was love is made in the dirt. What does that mm-hmm. even mean? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, like, like this is kind of like a, a comedic approach that I use, but I basically like, you know, always like, I, I, I did an Instagram post on it as well, but like when you, you know, move into relationship, you basically become two things. You become a miner and a plumber and you have two jobs, mine for gold and plunge the shit.
2: Mm.
1: And if, you know, like I basically consider that the connection between two people is your love pipe. And what often happens is, you know, the love pipe gets clogged with shit. And you know it gets clogged with all this shit, which is like. And when you need so- a
0: plumber, you can just find Jamie Raya on Instagram. Uh,
1: who are you gonna call? You know, you're gonna you're gonna call yourself. And I call I call it the Plunge for Love, and it's basically cleaning the connection. And so when I say like love is made in the dirt, meaning like you and your partner, you know, basically you move in a partnership. You have two swords. You have a plunger and you have an axe, and your job's to mine for gold and plunge the shit. And it's cleaning the connection, you know, it's it's, you know, because obviously the connection can get built up with resentment or there's hard conversations you haven't had or there's conflict that hasn't been repaired or there's needs that haven't been advocated for. And a healthy relationship is a perpetual cycle between disconnection and connection.
0: Mm.
1: And I, you know, actually, I feel that a lot of people sometimes we get into relationship, especially if we're looking at relationships that are going to save us from our pain. And anytime we encounter a period of disconnection in a relationship, or a period, you know, because sometimes the energy in a really great relationship can come become weird for a minute. And I feel that can be really heartbreaking um, and hard for a lot of people if they if we haven't made peace with the fact that relationships are completely imperfect. That, Mm -hmm. you know, there's going to be times when the connection does get weird. And that's actually such a beautiful opportunity to, to get even closer in your relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They do get
0: weird. And when do you decide like, oh, this isn't just weird. This isn't a match anymore. What are some indicators for that?
1: You know, it's it's definitely, I think one of those things where, um, you know, if it's all the time that you're fighting, like like obviously having a certain amount of, of conflict is really important. But if it gets to the point where you're just, you're constantly bickering, you're constantly fighting, and, there, and there's no time for you to really, really enjoy the relationship. Because it's like I said earlier, like, you know, processing is really important. But if you don't have time to play with each other's nipples a little bit, you know, and have fun. And I feel like sometimes in these connections, we're you know, say more of like a roommate type connection, we're always fighting to be kind of understood.
0: Yes. And, and if you don't you, find somebody that can love you the way that you guys understand each other, it's like you spend so much time trying to trying to get them to figure it out.
1: hundred percent. And oftentimes those are cases where we're, you know, a lot more often showing up in the adaptive child, because when we're showing up in the functional adult, we're, yes, we're, you know, able to validate our emotions, but there's Also, an element of intellect and reasoning that we come with where we're not gonna be so emotionally reactive. And I always say to like clients, too, like, I want you to not lead with your wounds because you don't want to like show up to like a first date and be like, okay, this is like my wounding, you know, I'm putting all this shit on the table on the first date. But it's one of those things where the more aware you're gonna be of these things and be showing up in your functional adult, in your relationships with friends, in your in your family system, the better prepared that you're gonna be able to advocate for yourself in a really healthy way in partnership. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And and so that comes down to how differentiated we are actually in our family of origin.
0: Yes. Okay. Because
1: the because the more differentiated we are in our family of origin, the less likely we are gonna sink into like a codependent pattern where we're gonna fuse and lose ourselves in relationship. You know? And so I I think with with you know some people, if we have a fear of relationships, if we're you know really not differentiated from the family of origin, and we have this, this kind of pattern where we always lose ourselves in relationship. And in a lot of times in those situations, it's okay, how do we show up more often our functional adult? How do we individuate from the emotional patterning of our family system in an even greater way?
0: You know, I want to ask a question about that. It's just around like what indicators for people who are listening right now are there to give them awareness that maybe they're still tied up or tethered in their family to a point where they're not standing in who they are themselves and their relationships?
1: Yeah, and, it, and it's basically you need to give yourself the love that you never got from your parents and when you're showing up in a relationship unconsciously expecting that your partner should love you in the way that your parents weren't able to without you even advocating for that then it's kind of a sign that that you're relating more from the child Mm -hmm. and a huge shift like a lot of time when I'm working with clients is I work with shifts in the family system because making a shift in the family system is like moving a slow tectonic plate where all of a sudden you're now reaching the golden arches of the true love that you've ultimately always wanted. And it's grieving the loss of whatever you couldn't get from your parents, beginning to advocate for that for yourself. And you know, say like you show up in a family system where what you wanted was unconditional love, where you wanted your emotional experience to be validated, you know, and so you need to then show up and, and validate your experiences. You need to build your own tolerance for unconditional love. Because if we grew up in a family system where we have to do things to get love, then we have no tolerance for unconditional love, which is unconditional love is essentially being in stillness. There's no doing in that. It's just us in the experience that we're having. And it's like, if you're feeling grief, if you're feeling sadness, it's acknowledging that it's okay. And it's being being in the presence of what is, is unconditional love.
0: Wow I love that okay And you know just kind of looking at our conversation, you know it's like you talk about relationships being a place where you claim more of who you are. Uh, tell yeah. me a little bit for for everybody listening, a lot of there's a lot of stories I think in society where you need to find yourself then be in a relationship. So mm. what is this dynamic like for you when you kind of think about your expertise of having a sense of self but also using relationships
1: as a portal into that? Yeah, and like, like I feel like, um, you know, I get messages all the time from people being like, you know, like I've been working on myself like so much. Like when is it actually time to move in a partnership? And the thing is, is that we're going to be evolving and growing our whole entire life. It's never going to stop. And so when I like to think of a life partner, I basically think of it like this. You want to find someone who you want to spend the rest of your life healing yourself with.
0: Hmm.
1: Who do you want to heal yourself with? Who do you trust with this work? Who do you trust, you know, advocating and love you most fiercely in the areas that are really tender to you, in the areas that have historically been hard? And, you know, having awareness over what that wounding is. And then all of a sudden, when you get to a point where you've built a lot of trust in that relationship, it's communicating what that wounding is. And then based off how they react to that wounding, tells you a lot about how safe or not safe this partner is going to be to heal with.
0: Okay. And I know that when you talk about healing... And it's so interesting because when I think about the personal development space, a lot of the times it almost sounds like all we got to do is heal. We've got so many wounds and we're just yeah. in, in these little pain <laughs> bodies. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. what else would you say is an indicator of a good relationship that helps you claim more of who you are? There's the healing side of it. What are some other indicators through all your coaching that you've learned? Okay, here's a few other indicators that this is a healthy, positive relationship.
1: Um, you know the term that, or you know, just kind of what's coming to me right now is is peace. Is you know, if it's kind of an unhealthy choice, we'll probably feel really destabilized. It will basically feed off us being in lower levels of self worth, and ultimately, like a great relationship, it it teaches us how to love ourselves more than we've ever loved ourselves. Mm-hmm. And you know, the right relationship. You won't have to change who you are. You'll simply become more of who you've always been. Mm-hmm. So it's this element of coming home to you really, to who you really are. And like when I work with clients, I, you know, cause I'm a screenwriter and filmmaker as well. And so I love the aspect of storytelling. And I always say like the most valuable thing you own is your story and you're never going to have to change your story in the right relationship, you're going to sink your roots even deeper into the story of who who you are and what made you who you are, and that's why, like I feel like, in a really healthy container, that we kind of go back to the start. We kind of go back to the little boy or the or the little girl, and 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 what did they need? And so, it's claiming this this piece that we don't need to be anything different than what we are, and. A healthy container, it's just it breeds so much self-acceptance mm-hmm. that we can like, oh my gosh, I can just b- finally, you know, like like in, in terms of a comedic sense, I'm like the right relationship is basically like taking a fart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like the difference between a good and bad relationship is stomach cramps. Oh my god, that's so good. <laughs> it's like you it's like you can fart the biggest and best fart that you've always wanted to like oh my gosh, I can finally fucking relax and just be who I've always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So it's this huge surrendering, you know?
0: Yeah. It's so funny. I just, um, started being with the right person, I think for me, and it's just felt like relief. Like the whole relationship yeah. has just felt like one big fucking relief. Like, Oh, wow. You get me here too. Oh, wow. Like I can just be this way and you don't mind like so much relief, so much understanding, so much communication, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful thing. What do you think it is that keeps people from stepping into that kind of relationship?
1: You know, I, I, I think it's that we need to begin showing up for ourselves in that way and, you know, having awareness over those things and, you know, I remember like for me in my journey, it, w- it was, you know, if I'm going to go back to like the incompetency wound, it was that I did not feel worthy. And the more that I was able to honor the experience of who I was and kind of embrace the wholeness of who I was, you know, because and also just like getting on a path in life, um, you know, like, like I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this, but like the more on a soul aligned path, that you are, and you start living from your soul. And I think people really struggle relationally when they're living a life that is disconnected from their true purpose and their true calling. Mm -hmm. And the more that we can show up on a soul level, you know, like the more that we can have friends who really, who we connect, who are like our soul tribe friends who we connect to, the more we can, you know, have really soulfully connected relationships with our parents the more that we can be in a job or career that we feel really passionate about and we clean up our own personal vibration where we're making intimate contact with not who we feel we should be. So it's not like an identity that was instilled upon us by society or by our parents, but it's who we actually are. Then we're able to make a relational choice. Um, it's, it's almost like we're looking from soul lenses. We're looking in service of our soul. It's not in service of, you know, f- trying to find someone who makes us feel worthy because we already feel worthy, you know. And like I'm, I'm curious to hear like your experience of, you know, kind of getting to, to the point you are now where, you know, finally being available to, to that type of relationship feels really connecting.
0: Yeah. You know, I love, I love that you asked that because it's so funny. Very rarely does a guest turn it around and be like, well, you tell me, Ashley. I'm like, oh shit. But I want to hear hear everything, Ashley. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know what? I, um, I grew up most of my life having really good guys, really healthy, uh, relationships, but they were missing that magnet. Um, they, I always felt like I was with my best friend and that was it. And, Um, my five year relationship where we were engaged to be married was an incredible guy, but very much similar to the core wound you were describing. And Mm. for me working really hard, building my first company, I felt like such a man with him and I felt like so in my masculine and I felt so, um, like afraid that, um, I don't know, I think my core wound growing up with my dad was, he was so anxious all the time. We lost all of our Mm. money that I was always afraid, like, that I would be with a guy that couldn't take care of me. And it didn't mean financially, mm. like, I can take care of myself, but it meant yeah. just, like, somebody who could, like, provide peace, like I'd mentioned, or um, could help me, like, hang something on the wall, and or mm. somebody who was just, like, pleasantly predictable. Like, they wouldn't come home, like, I, I wouldn't know what I was going to get. You know, like a consistent human. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think that led me to chose a lot of guys who were just these consistent, best friend-like, peaceful mm. beings, and not someone who could challenge me, stimulate me, provide an adventure with me. Um, mm. I'm pretty adventurous human. Like I look yeah. for the fun and I'm my life never looks the same. And yeah. I think a lot of guys have enjoyed that part of me. And I wanted that back. And so I remember what that looked like when I was in my wounding was dating a lot of unavailable guys because uh, there was like an adventure in their life that made them unavailable. Some of them were uh, jet setting business owners that didn't totally have time to give to me, but they had an adventure in their life. And so whenever I would talk to them, they sounded like they just had so much going on. It was so healing for me because I, I felt, uh, for lack of a better term, like boredom.
1: Okay. Okay. Like, yeah. Like, yeah.
0: because my my nervous system registered stability as boredom. Mm. You know, like yeah. there's a lot of action with my dad. Like he was panicked and you know worried all the time. So for my nervous system to experience calm was totally foreign. So I remember mm. the the last unavailable guy I dated, um, and this was just like a slew of them over a year that I was dating in between otherwise yeah. really good guys that were healthy for me. Um, I remember going out with this one guy and we had this incredible connection and like four or five dates in, he was like, you're amazing. Mm. And I want to <laughs> make more time for this, but I can't. And I remember being like, not again, like, but I can't, mm. you know? Mm. And, um, the unavailability of the men I was choosing, it was like, uh, so many different layers. Like one was unavailable because he had a terminal illness, which was a really okay. sad one, but he wasn't yeah, available. Yeah, yeah. Like his body, like he was, he had to tend to that. Um, mm. Another guy wasn't available because um, he had like serious trauma from his upbringing. He had not processed yeah. it, and anytime I wanted to go deeper and have a real communication or conversation that was about an issue, he would blame it on me, shut down,
1: mm. want mm. space,
0: all the things. Another unavailability looked like the the jet setting traveler, like he physically wasn't even in town. Mm. So it was like emotionally unavailable, physically unavailable, like I, you know, health-wise unavailable. Like I just found all levels of unavailable, and in my case, it was just like I had so much pain experiencing Mm. it that that final guy that looked me in the face and was Mm. like, "This is amazing," and I'm gonna pass on this because I've got to raise, you know, Series B capital for my company. I don't even remember what it was. (laughs) I I was like, whatever. Like this is so 2000 and late. Like Mm. I can't do this anymore. And so in my case, and I think a lot of people, I was. So sick of it that I was like, yeah. I, I just put my stand on the ground and was like, mm. never again. Like if I get a whiff of somebody who can't be there for me, who can't text me back, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I, like I, I don't even get. You know, it's so crazy the excuses we make for ourselves of like yeah. common courtesy. Like even in business, if somebody doesn't email me back, like I can't do business with them. Like how are we doing relationships or trying to do relationships with people who can't even send a text message back?
1: Yeah, and, and it's so interesting that you know because I I love that you talked about, about all that because you know it really does sometimes take I, I think Mark Groves uses this term a cosmic two by four I love where that. you know yeah like I'm, I'm pretty sure that's his term that that he that he came up with but it takes a situation where we get so fucking frustrated that Kate whatever we're doing is is not working yeah. and you know something that I always preach to my clients is you know, when you're out there dating is look for consistency. Yes. And, you know, and like, how often does that person, you know, show up as who they say they are? So like, meaning that they say something that, and they're, at, you know, and it's all about their actions, you know, because obviously people can walk, you sorry, talk a big talk, but then they don't act in a way that's congruent with, with what they say. And I'm curious, like how you um, you know, to turn around one more time here. Yeah, like, yeah, please. Like how you were able to, I guess, make a different choice finally with this relationship now, and kind of like, what was your process of discerning for emotional unav- or Sorry, emotional availability in you know, with the guy you're with now, like, like, oh, like how did that. you, how did you go about that?
0: Well, you, this is such a fun interview to be having. Cause this is so rare that somebody <laughs> does this to me. So I love it. Um, yeah. I would say the first thing when I was listening to you talk that I was thinking about is it really comes down to how much of a masochist, whoever is listening to this wants to be like, uh, how, like, I would ask anybody who's listening, like, how much of a masochist are you? Like, how hard do you want to be on yourself? How painful uh, do you want your life to be? How many fights do you want to have? How many uh, not responded to text messages do you want to be? You know? Uh, And so for me, I just hit the threshold of my own masochism and was like, I, uh, I, like, this is the the end. Like, I will not. Like, I have PTSD. It's official. I will not date somebody who won't literally date me. Like, uh, I just, and, and I stopped wanting people who didn't want me. And, Right then and there, when that happened, I started noticing a whole other slew of guys because that's just how Mm. it works, right? And so for me, a few indicators of the person I'm with now who I think we're probably going to get married and I feel – it's so funny. I joke with him. Um. I'm like, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to go through with it this time. (laughs) Like,
1: (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So good. Congratulations.
0: Thank you. And, and you know, it's funny because, um, a few things that are so basic. So it depends on who's listening to this, right? Like everybody has different patterns and you're the first person that would probably be able to point it out. But yeah. I would say, um, for me, what the unavailability looked like was not mm. texting back very quickly, meaning like within the same few hours or the same day.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, you know, or, and it's fine if somebody's busy all day, but, like the default setting is they can get back to me. Like I can't be like mm. there. There are a few unavailable guys where I'd be like, okay, what time do you want to meet up tonight? And they wouldn't text me back till seven at night and be like, how about in an hour? And I'd be like, what?
1: No, that's the worst. That's right? the worst. I'm like, oh how gosh. are you
0: participating in society? But um, <laughs> yeah. still, it's like. It's just feedback that it wasn't a priority. So I told mm. myself, I want somebody that wants to make love a priority. Like, I want to make love a priority. So mm. to me, that meant, like, being responsive. To me, that meant following up. Um, to me, that meant making plans, momentum. That was huge. Mm. I had yeah. You guys, I had one guy actually um, before the one that looked at me and was like, you're amazing and we're not going to really do this. And then yeah. he just kept lingering and texting me. And that was the beginning of my end of, like, I'm not mm. even going to
1: respond to this anymore. Yeah, Um, and and oh no, talk to me. Am I able to uh, ask you a question? Yeah, yeah, please. Like, just out of curiosity, like, like, did you internalize the emotional unavailability that you know you weren't worthy of being loved or you weren't worthy of connection? Like, like, did you basically, you know, obviously you've you've grown past it, but like early on, did you have a kind of a story that? it was kind of your fault?
0: No, it's funny. I had, okay, so that, this is an incredible question and I think so many women are going to relate listening to this and
1: even,
0: you know, the cool and evolved men that are in this, um, that are listening. (laughs) Um, I didn't have a story. I mean, maybe it's very deep in my consciousness somewhere or, or unconsciousness that's in there, but, My story that kept me stuck in being with guys was um, hope addiction. It was in the delusion that this is – here was the key story. I'm new. Everybody's dating a lot of people. You know, I gotta give them at least a month of getting to know each other before they create some momentum because, mm. you know, like we don't even know each other. And his job's, yeah. of course, gonna be more important. And his friends and all of his other plans, of course, are gonna be more important when we don't even know each other. Like, mm. he doesn't even owe me that. Yeah. So it, I guess that does come down to like standards, which comes from worthiness, but I really, really thought like, Oh, I can't have expectations or standards Mm. of somebody that is this new in my life. Like we don't even know each other from fuck all, you know, like this could, we could never talk again tomorrow. Like,
1: (laughs) yeah. And like for you, like what was like the number one thing that you wanted in your childhood that, that you never got?
0: I think somebody who could really be with me. Um, and mm. that comes back to the piece. Like, I think m- my dad looking back, he's so funny, like to this day, he's like one of the funniest mm. humans I know, and I enjoy him amongst the most. But what he couldn't give me was um, presence, like he was too panicked, mm. he, he couldn't be with me. And he was too worried mm. about the world and his finances. Um, and he loved me the best he could. And I know that like he, Mm. you know, when he was present with me, it was a really funny time. Like he's a humorous individual, Yeah. but there were so many times where I wanted somebody to hang out with and they, he just couldn't hang out with me. Even if he was sitting next to me, he was in a panic Mm. and you know, anybody who has anxiety who's listening to this podcast, they probably know that anxiety is a full-time job. It occupies Mm. you,
1: you know? Yeah. 100% and like like did you want someone to be like present to your emotional experience of 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 you know like being able to soothe you or or you were in your experience and and you wanted that experience to be validated?
0: Yeah, I think it was all of it. I wanted somebody that would wanted to talk to me that wanted to connect. Mm. I had a lot of thoughts and I still do to this day. Like I'm one of those, Mm. you know, you strike me as it too, Jamie. We're like, it wouldn't be unusual (laughs) for you to be sitting on the couch and look at Kelsey and be like, where do you think we all come from? Or like some
1: question like that. Yeah, having these like super existential thoughts. And, you know, it's interesting, Ashley, just that you say that about peace, because honestly, I think that's what we all want the most is peace. Like I don't, you know, I think happiness is fleeting, but I think peace is this just inherent self-acceptance of who we are and the experiences we have. And I can relate to that as well, because, you know, there was some, I'm not going to go into the details of it, but there was some trauma that I experienced when I was in utero, which basically meant that like my mom's nervous system was imprinted with fear and panic. Mm -hmm. And when that gets imprinted, when your mom's pregnant with you, it gets imprinted into the cells and nervous system of the little baby. And so I basically had this thing where it was really hard for me to regulate my emotions Yeah, and fear was like the biggest sabotager in my life. And, and, you know, it led to me having a disorganized attachment. And, and anytime I had an experience, it would overwhelm me completely. And so that is the same thing that, you know, that you spoke about is I've been after my whole life is, Peace.
0: Wow. Well, first of all, I don't know if you've heard, there's an episode on U-Turn Podcast from Stephen Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal's dad. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. And he's a filmmaker, like you, and he uh wrote in. he did a film called in uniro and it's all about the kind of trauma that we can experience before we even come into the world so he's doing a lot of work on that really cool topic um yeah fascinating topic i know all about how some babies needed to be pulled out by forceps and the trauma that can come you know your first experience of the world is being grabbed by a metal object on by the head um you know it's just there's so much depth here and I think for anybody listening, you know, I, I just love this idea that we need to kill the fantasy so the dream can live yeah. and really step into real love because like I was like just so addicted to hope and hoping something uh. would be different. And also, I think the kind of delusion that sometimes happens in self-help and and I was definitely operating under it is um, as somebody who wants to take responsibility for themselves, Mm. not blaming myself because I wasn't hard on myself, but I would lightly just kind of think, oh, you know, maybe there's something here that I could work on. Maybe I'm being Mm. too needy. Maybe I'm wanting too much too fast, you know?
1: Mm. Yeah, and, you know, I I love you said all that. And, like, I feel that true love begins with childhood grief. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, just, you know, like, like obviously I don't know... uh, your situation completely but it, but it sounds like you know like like if, if the the little girl you wanted to experience peace it's almost like you know your work then has been being emotionally available to yourself yeah. your work has been in, been in validating the experiences you have and that it's safe to be with your experience and you know obviously you know like like whatever's going on with our parents at that time and the thing is our parents are the children of parents, you know what I mean? So our parents adapt in a way where they learn how to survive. And if, you know, our, our parents don't move more into their functional adult, then the way that they react with the kids, it's it's generational emotional patterns. And so now for you, the emotional availability is this beautiful gift that you have been given in terms of your work in your life of being, becoming emotionally available to yourself. And it's led you to this beautiful connection and partnership that you're in which is where relationships become beautiful because you start giving yourself the things that you always needed you start becoming you start becoming the parent that you always needed and when we can grieve the loss of that love we didn't get and you know just understand that our parents are humans who have their own flaws and we can grieve the ways in which we felt they, they should have loved us. And we can start loving ourselves in that way. And we can, you know, hold ourselves and show up for ourselves in that way. We needed someone to show up for us. Then that's where love really begins. Oh, I that, love what you're saying. Yeah. And so it's this process of, you know, and, and what you were talking about, when that really karmic connection ends and not only do we grieve that relationship, but we're grieving all of our childhood pain at the same time.
0: Yes. Yes. And I, I actually had that with one of my unavailable connections Um, So, as actually seeing him for five months, and he showed up for me in a lot of ways, but he would never actually commit. So that's how his unavailability looked. It was like he wanted to spend time together. He wanted to text me back. He wanted to call me. We laughed. We had a great time. But when it came down to commitment, he couldn't do it, and that was the one who had an illness. And I remember... That when I finally got the courage to love myself and look at what I really want, which was partnership, uh, fully committed partnership, and I really looked at the relationship, it it becomes – decision-making isn't necessarily less painful, but it becomes easy sometimes because you just uh, look at, here's the list of things I want, here's what I'm in, does it match, you know, and it was like – no, and and that bridge between what you want and where you are, that what you where you walk, that's all love, like loving yourself. And mm. for me, the courage to break up with him, even though we weren't really even together, so bless that whole thought. Yeah, was um, was just <laughs> extraordinary on my side, and I remember exactly what you're talking about. My full mm. childhood grief coming out because. I was in Mexico laying by a pool with friends when I got the courage to break it off with him. Uh, And I remember hoping some little part of my little girl inside wanted him to say, you know what, I'm actually going to commit. This is everything. And he didn't. Uh, And I remember laying by the pool and feeling this little girl inside of me. And I had a picture of little five-year-old me screaming uh, in a corner like, you don't want me you know? Mm. And I remember thinking about like all of these years with my dad where he was there, you know, he was in the house, Mm. but he was too panicked to show up for me. He was too occupied, Mm. you know, to really stop thinking and start being with me. And so, you know, I remember just seeing that little girl having a total meltdown and Mm. in my head as I was crying and I started crying with her almost. It felt like on that lawn chair.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I love how how you brought us into all that because like we go into relationships, you know, if we haven't dealt with our childhood grief or pain, we go into relationships hoping to convert our romantic partners in the way that we were trying to convert our parents to love us in a different way. And, you know, all of that comes up. That's why, like, really woundmate-type connections are, or, you know, more of a trauma bond-type connection, it's really hard to detach from because we're essentially detaching from the childhood fantasy that we should have been loved a different way and in order to detach from that relationship we need to make peace with the reality of our parents were doing the best they can and ultimately the love story that we're looking for is the love story with ourselves yeah that's basically what we find out is the partner that we've been looking for for is ourselves and like one one thing i do with clients all the time is i get them to define to me what they what they're looking for in love like love is what and You know, after they, you know, like I'll get them to draw it out or or create this image. And then I'll ask, do you love yourself in these ways? Do you show up for yourself in these ways? Because the, the list of ways that you define love, you need to become the fucking postcard. You need to become the walking human embodiment of these things.
0: Mm, And a lot of that doesn't mean like doing something different. It means letting go of something like letting go of someone or letting go of a job or like, you know, it's like, it's so interesting when you say be the love, it's like, okay, if you're going to be the love, then I I think it's the human experience. It's very typical of the human condition where people think, okay, if I'm going to be the love, I need to go do all of these things to be it. But it's like, no, no, you can just remove so many things in your life that aren't working for you. So many barriers to go be it. But I, I would love to hear your take on that.
1: Yeah. It's like, I feel, you know, just for like life and love, it's honest, like a lot of time, like I'll come into session with someone and, and I'll be like, one of the first things we'll start with is do you want to find out the truth? Because <laughs> yeah, great question. like, yeah. And, and I, like going back to the Byron Katie thing, like, like again, I, I got that from her, but like, it's all literally an unbecoming. It's all an unbecoming of all the things that you don't need to be who you really are that you know we build up all these identities these false identities to to try to be worthy when it's us in our most pure crystallized version is the most worthy of love again it's going it's basically getting people to that purified point of unconditional love it's that point where you can just be with the the purest most authentic version of who you are in your skin so it's basically finding out All the walls, all the stories, all the layers, all the skin that we've built up, thinking that we need to become someone else to be worthy. It's this literally living from inside out, where so many of us are living from outside in. Mm -hmm. Oh, like maybe you know, and it's like if if we grow up in a household where we learn conditional love, it's essentially maybe if I do all these things, then I'll finally be worthy and. Then when we grow up in like a household where we only learn conditional love, we literally feel panicked in those moments of stillness because we think we're actually running away from love when actually every time we abandon, we're running away from love. Mm. Every, time, every time we self-abandon, we've already lost because we've lost ourselves.
0: And for anybody listening, when you say self-abandon, what would you say are two or three examples or indicators of self-abandonment?
1: Like for example, you know, going back to someone who grows up um, in a household where it's not safe to be with their emotions. So they build up an adaptation or a dissociation from their emotional experience. So the abandonment could be, I'm experiencing sadness, but I can't be with it. So I'm gonna go off and distract myself with this other thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna be in that experience. And then even further, if we learn to survive in a family system uh, you know, self abandoning, or with the adaptation that we can't be in our emotional experience because we'll be shamed or criticized, or there won't be space for those emotions to be held. Then we basically will gaslight our own emotional experiences, and we'll we'll never learn how to trust ourselves because we won't be with the full bandwidth of who we are. You know, and, and that's essentially whatever is coming up for you is is validating. And honoring that, and being like, this is my experience right now, and the number one thing that I'm entitled to is my experience. I love and love that. Our um, like our experiences are not up for debate. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I, I'm like I'm pretty sure that was Sylvie who, who said that, so I want to make sure I give. I, I think that was Sylvie's quote. I want to make sure I give her credit. But like our emotional experiences are not up for debate.
0: Exactly. And,
1: and like, it really breaks my heart when, you know, like I'm talking to a client or something and they have this story that they basically internalized this story from childhood that they were not enough based off their parent who was living through their own adaptations and wasn't able to show up in a way where the kid learned the beauty of unconditional love, mm-hmm. you- you know, and so and so, you basically learn from a lung from a lung from a young age that love equals self abandonment. That love equals I got to step away from my experience to accomplish something or achieve something, and you know, or have this really grandiose emotional experience like someone fucking pay attention to me, and it's screaming for someone's attention. You know.
0: Hmm. I love this. This has been so. Powerful. And uh, just to close out on a final point, you'd said that once we know our work, we can heal our wounds Mm. and choose someone who can Mm. help us heal versus Mm. amplify. So to close out on this point, um, what can you share with everybody about just what does it really mean to choose someone who can help heal versus
1: amplify? Yeah. So again, going back to, you know, that question, What is it you wanted from your parents and you never got that becomes soul evolution because that's the parts of yourself. Your parents have passed the baton to you. Mm -hmm. They were not, they did not, were not able to love you in that way. And they left it for you. They left it for you to show up for yourself. And your work is learning to love yourself in that way. And then essentially when we're going to talk relationships, you're going to find a partner Who's going to come with you on that journey of you learning how to love yourself? So I'll you know, I'll bring it back since we're right at the end here to my story, where it's I have this core wound of incompetency, that I'm unworthy, that I'm not smart, that I'm incapable. And you know, for me, moving into partnership and communicating the fact that I have all this shame about that the fact that i did not feel enough the fact that i feel like an incomplete human being the fact that i don't feel you know fully whole in who i am and that's what i was searching for and then to bring your partner when you bring your partner into your shame you have given them the keys to the kingdom of how they can love you better you have given your your partner the keys to the castle of your heart because i mean that's so it's so cliche what i just said um But it's essentially that whatever you're so afraid of the world knowing, whatever is that you have kept hidden from people, that is where the right person is going to love you most fiercely. And when you and so that's where you have to love yourself most fiercely. Mm -hmm. Those areas that work that your parents left for you. If you're single, you need to show up for yourself and love yourself in that particular area the most fiercely. And that's going to be how you're going to choose a partner. You're going to bring them into that story and you're going to give them an invitation into your heart, an invitation, an invitation to this um, beautiful way of of who you are. And based off, I I think I talked about this earlier, but based off how they show up in that part of you, because essentially the right partner will hold and love our wounds, whereas the wrong partner will use our wounds against us.
0: Oh wow. That could be so dark and so good to end on that note for people mm. to really think about that. Where can everybody <laughs> find you, Jamie? You you were just such a treat for me. Like before we got on the interview, I was like, dang, I've been, it's been a really long work day today. Mm. And I was like, dang, this is the last thing. And once I heard your voice come on, I'm like, yes, this is going to be such <laughs> a way, a good way to end the day. So thank you.
1: Yeah. First off, I just want to say like, thank you so much for, for this, this chat. It's been amazing. And thank you for like, sharing with everyone your story as well. And, and, and for being, you know, super vulnerable and courageous and for Thank sharing you. that with me, I, I feel really lucky and fortunate um, that you were so transparent, and able to, to bring me into your journey as well, as well. And I really appreciate that, but people can find me, I guess the best place would be on Instagram and um, on Instagram. It's just at Jamie dot N dot
0: Perfect.
1: And I, I yeah. So, and, uh, my last name's Ray. Like, like I, I, some people, I, R-E-A. I say Raya, yeah. Ray. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> like, funny. I, as soon as you were saying that, it reminded me of like all my teachers growing up, like Jamie, <laughs> ja- Jamie Raya. And I'm like, we could have Raya? healed
0: that childhood wound. Like just leave it to me,
1: bring it right up. Look at you, Ashley, just bring Jamie up all my childhood wounds even more. You it's know? what I'm here
0: for, Jamie. It's what I'm here for.
1: <laughs> and, um, yeah, I was also going to say that that my partner, Kelsey, and I, we also uh, co-host the Power Couple podcast together, and that's available on iTunes and Spotify. We have new episodes that come out every Thursday. And we finally, we have a relationship school called the Legendary Love Academy. And you can find us on Instagram at the Legendary Love Academy. And we do group coaching programs as well as we have a wide, vast array of different self-study programs, um, that, you know, people can use at their own, their own leisure, you know, kind of at their own pace to, to help heal and, and transform the relationship with self and relationship with others. Wonderful. Thank you again. Ashley, it's been so much fun. Have a wonderful evening, and thank you for having
0: me on. Yes, and I hope everyone who listens, your relationship is like a fart, just like Jamie said,
1: where you just (laughs) release it all. Go spread your butt cheeks and fart.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys. I am really moved by Jamie Ray, or as I mistakenly called Raya, (laughs) Jamie Ray he's so wise. I thought he shared so well about this idea of what it looks like when perhaps you're looking for somebody to save you because you weren't taught maybe as a kid to do, to take action on your own. And maybe this isn't a wound for you. Maybe you were listening to that and thinking like, no, my parents taught me how to take action on my own. But you probably know somebody or maybe you dated somebody who, There was something going on with them taking action for themselves or showing up in their lives for themselves. And I thought it was really insightful to listen to Jamie talk about all of the dynamics that go into something like that. Like in his case, a parent who um, wanted to be there for him or it made the parent uncomfortable to watch him struggle on his own. Um, I think that these are just part of the dynamics that really exist. Um, in teaching us and in showing us how to navigate the wounding that we sometimes get left with. And just a reminder, as always, we're not victims. Um, These experiences serve us. And if we're willing to look at them, they don't have to run our lives anymore or translate into whether it's you or somebody else looking to be saved. Um, And so I just want you to notice in your life right now, when do you start to get uncomfortable? When in your romantic relationships especially, do you start to get uncomfortable? Is it in the early phases of commitment? Is it when you're actually committed and you've been committed for a while, you're starting to realize it's sinking in? When do you get uncomfortable? And tracing that feeling back into your life um, of when's the first time you remember that uncomfortable feeling. And from there, really asking yourself, What was I thinking in that moment of that discomfort? What was I thinking about my mom, my dad, whoever was present? What was I thinking about the world? And what was I thinking about me? What was I afraid of? What was that voice of fear or discomfort saying to me? Because when you're able to examine what thoughts were floating through your mind, you're able to start to look at what were the beliefs that you bought into that create that discomfort that you carry with you into your life right now. And when you start to go to that next level of looking at your parents and having compassion for them, I think it's a really powerful move because when you look at Jamie, it's like he was able to compassionately realize like his mom or his dad was very uncomfortable at his discomfort and they couldn't bear it. And so they navigated that by controlling things for him, taking care of things for him. And as a result, he grew up as an adult who wanted to be saved until now. So the key term is until now. So... Um, What wounding are you carrying with you into your romantic partnerships? Where are you looking to be saved or to be spared or what experiences from your parents inspired you to be different in this way or create pain um, that you can examine and shift because I know all of us, when we really zoom out, we don't want to be saved uh, we don't want somebody to have to do it for do life for us. And if you're buying into that smallness with yourself, there's some sort of self-esteem where you, you got a message that you can't do things on your own perhaps, or um, that life is hard. And I want to just challenge that for you. Life is really um, incredible. It's abundant. There's a lot of opportunities everywhere you go. And it's really just what channel you're tuning into in your life. So really excited about this episode, really hoping you share this with somebody that needs to hear it. I'm sure you've got a friend who, you know, is in their partnership dealing with this, whether it's them themselves that feel the same way Jamie did growing up, or if it's, um, You know, their partner that's going through this, maybe this can shed a light for them on what their partner's roots are and open that conversation for them. uh, Just so deep. So, really excited and so honored you're listening as usual and love your feedback. Hit me up on the gram at Ashley Stahl. Love hearing from so many of you. It's been such a gift, keeps me motivated and really looking forward to next week.
2: and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Leila Hermosey, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.